This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Uh, but today we're going to look at 1 Chronicles 29. We're going to look at something from the life of David. And uh, David is one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible, really. I'm uh, toying with the idea of teaching through his life uh, in a uh, Sunday series, just looking at all of the points of his life. He's he's well known, uh, even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you probably know David. You probably know the story of David and Goliath. That's like a a living picture of the underdog, uh, you know, defeats, uh, takes it to the man, we could say. So that, that, uh, that is a classic story. If you're more familiar with the Bible, you might be aware of some other things about David. You might be aware that uh, he was the least of all his brothers, and yet God chose him. Uh, Samuel anointed him to be the king. You may be aware that the present king, when he was anointed king, was Saul, uh, came after him, tried to kill him, that he spent his life as a fugitive on the run uh, from Saul. Uh, You may be aware that he was a great military leader. He was a combination, kind of a renaissance man before there was a renaissance. Uh, He was a warrior. Uh, So he's a warrior guy, tough guy, giant slayer guy, but he was also uh, a musician and, and a singer and a composer of hymns. And so many of the Psalms or a number of the Psalms are written by David. You may know him for his most infamous event, uh, where he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah killed. Uh, so you may know that about him if you've heard of David as well. Uh, you may be aware that uh, he had problems in his own family, uh, one of his sons challenging and opposing him. But what you might be less familiar with is the last recorded event of his life. Uh, and it's one of the high points of his life, I think, and we're going to look at it tonight. We're going to look at the last event that the chronicler uh, records in First Chronicles, uh, and we're going to look at his last prayer or his last praise that's recorded by the chronicler here in First Chronicles tonight. The last thing David did in his life was lead the people in gathering resources, funds, uh, gold, silver, and the like, uh, to build a temple for the Lord. And the last prayer that we find uh, from David is his joyous Um, grace-filled celebration of God and what he did in his people. I've taught this passage before, um, and I'm teaching it tonight uh, as we approach next week our uh, annual offering and our annual, uh, you know, Old men at phones, as, as Aaron said, this is, this is not a telethon. Trust me, we've never done telethons or anything like that. But this is our annual time where we as a family commit to what uh, we can give over the next year to fund our building. And in the past, it's always been, it used to be someday maybe, and then it was, wow, someday sooner because we put in some roads, and now it's someday like right now. Uh, if you've driven by, it's going up and tremendous progress is being made. But the reason I, I'm drawn to this passage is because I know of no more joyful, worshipful, celebratory text in the entire Bible that has to do with God's people uh, freely giving themselves to the Lord. And as a subset of giving themselves, giving their finances as well but really giving themselves to the Lord. So we're going to look at about 19 verses. I'm going to read the first nine, 
and then pray, and then we'll jump in and look at those, and then I'm going to look at the next nine and uh, then have an application towards the end. Well, there'll be application throughout. But here we go, First Chronicles 29. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did all the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, and of the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, eighteen thousand talents of bronze, and a hundred thousand talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehael the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Let's pray. Father, we want to know great rejoicing because we want to know the freedom that is found in knowing you and trusting you and managing what you have given to us for your glory. So, Lord, while our setting may be quite different than David's and the people he was with, there are many similarities, Lord. We want to be a people that greatly rejoice. We want to be motivated by grace. We want the gospel to touch our hearts so that we are a people of generous spirit. Make us a generous, spirited people who freely give of ourselves, who freely serve others, who freely look to, to the needs of others more than our own needs. And may we also be those who freely give of our resources for your glory alone. And we pray that you would speak to us through this text. And we just pray, Lord, that you would provide all that we need in the project that you have initiated for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me walk through, uh, walk through the passage uh, with you. The first thing we find out is that he says this work is great. And it's interesting. He doesn't say here that it's a great work because of the structure. He doesn't say, man, have you seen the square footage on this thing? We're going to need everybody to, to, to help fund this. He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't say it's great because of the amount of gold that will be in the temple. He doesn't say it's great uh, because of its location or its design or anything, its furnishings, nothing like that. He says it's great uh, because of its purpose. Look what he says. The, the, he says in verse 1, the... the um, 
my son Solomon, he's young and inexperienced, and the work is great for, why is the work great? For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. And so he ties it to the purpose. This is for God, and therefore it is great. Now, let me be really clear. This is super important in terms of um, uh, having integrity with interpreting a text of Scripture. There are significant differences in salvation history between the temple that David built and every other place that Christians have worshipped throughout history. It's a, whether it's a house or a cathedral or a, a, a strip center or a school or a building like this, there is a difference between the temple and the church. The temple was a place that uniquely uh, God was present. And, and in the New Testament, it's not a building where God is present, but it is the people. We are the church. Uh, Jesus fulfilled all that the temple pointed to. The sacrifices, Jesus fulfilled. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I am the temple. And he said that we, we looked at this last week, that we are living stones being built together to be a spiritual house. So we are the temple of God. So there is a big difference between uh, the temple and modern buildings. However, buildings do house the church. The building's not the church. The building houses the worship of the church. As the people of God, we're the church, as we gathered together. So our building and any church building today is a place to house the gathered church uh, so that we are able to declare the praises of God. So there are differences, but there are similarities as well. Uh, David leads the people to give because the work is for God and not for man. And therein is a similarity for us. We are, we are in a project in the middle of a building project that is for the Lord and not somehow to make a name for us or anything like that. And while God won't dwell in that building or this building or any building, he will dwell in us. We do have a place to gather and make a public declaration of the gospel. We have a place to gather, and we looked at this last week in First uh, Peter 2, a place to gather to declare the praises or to proclaim the excellencies, proclaim the excellencies of the Lord God so that a watching world can hear of the Savior, so that we can be positioned in a strategic location to declare that we once were in darkness, but now he's brought us to his marvelous light. That's what we looked at last week, that the, the church, the spiritual house, the people of God are to declare that. And we do that from a geographic location. We do that from a place. And so that's what we are doing right now. We are uh, providing a place not for God to dwell, but providing a place for the people in whom God dwells to worship, to worship him in the heart of our city and to proclaim his praise to our city and beyond. So he says, so there's similarities. We too are doing something that is for the Lord, for the people of God to declare his praises. Now he says the, the task is significant, and so he gives to it. And in verses 3, we see what he gives. He's provided for the house, I'm sorry, verse 2, provided for the house uh, gold, silver, bronze, iron, all of these things. And I will be forevermore putting caps on the water bottles. I learned a lesson last week. Onyx, stones for settings, and Timothy, colored stones, precious stones. So he describes marble, all these things that are being provided, that he's providing, uh, sort of out of the king's treasury, 
um, he could say, out of, the, out of their working fund that the nation of Israel has, things that have been given, uh, things that David has earned or won in battle or whatever the case may be. Then what he does is he says he's going to give personally as well, verse 3. Moreover, so in addition to gold, silver, all this stuff that Israel's treasury is providing, moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. Because of my devotion to the house of God, I give it to the house of my God. So what he's talking about here is a king sort of had a personal security plan. A king had a personal treasury so that if things went bad, uh, that he had security and he had protection, kind of savings, except it's savings not just for an individual. He might need to, uh, he might need to pull together an ar- army in terms of attack. He might need some personal money in case uh, there is some kind of division in the ranks and somebody's trying to bring a coup against him. So it could be an internal enemy. It could be an external enemy. But he had this sort of security backup savings. And what he's saying here is, I'm giving my security. Humanly speaking, I'm giving my security, is what he says. I'm giving my security. He's returning what God has given him so that God may be worshipped. That's what his reason for doing this uh, is, uh, is he states, um, I have a treasure of my own because of my devotion to the house of my God. So David has been a worshipper all of his life. He played worship music for King Saul. He wrote Uh, worship songs. He danced before the Lord as the ark was brought into Jerusalem. He's always been known as a worshiper, but a worshiper is not just someone that sings songs, claps their hands, smiles, writes tunes, uh, learns an instrument. What he's doing now is he's saying, because of my devotion to the house of God, what he's saying now is I'm divesting myself of this exorbitant savings as an act of worship because I'm devoted to the worship of God. And so he's demonstrating life worship. He's demonstrating, God, you really are Lord. And that's pretty easy for me to say, to sing a song, but it's pretty difficult for me to do in in giving my security is what he is doing. And the amount is staggering. Uh, Verse 4, 3,000 talents of gold, which a talent is a measurement, uh, 7,000 talents of silver. Uh, basically, a talent was about 75 pounds. So he gave 225,000 pounds of gold. That's a lot of security. 225,000 pounds of gold. He gave 525,000 pounds of, of silver. One commentator said, just think of it as billions. It, it's, it's almost incalculable. He gave billions for this project. And he says, I have a treasure of my own. This is it. And I am giving it. So he goes through all of that. And then really the heart of the passage is in verse five. After he gives all this, he then says, who then, this is the end of verse five, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? Who will offer willingly consecrating himself now, he starts talking about a consecration. It's, it's kind of a consecration service is what he's leading into now. It seems like the natural thing to do 
if David was a good fundraiser, would have been to give all of this money and then put it on a chart, put it on a thermometer and say, we're at 3K, we're at 3,000 talents of gold. Now who can make up the difference? Or maybe he should have called all the rich Israelites together and at 100 talents a plate, had a fundraising dinner for them and gotten all the rich people, given them a nice meal and then done a little presentation of what the building's gonna look like, the new temple, and just said, okay, everybody, give. But that's not what he does. He doesn't do some kind of fundraising technique. He's not inter- it's really not about fundraising. It's about heart raising because what he says is who will willingly, he doesn't want begrudging contributions, who will willingly consecrate himself to the Lord Now, this word consecration is interesting. It's used in the book of Exodus for the ordination of priests. And it meant to be ordained is to be set apart for a priest. It meant to set apart. So he's saying, who willingly wants to be set apart for the Lord today? Who wants to be set apart? Who wants to be devoted? Who wants to be dedicated to the Lord today? He's calling the people to set themselves apart to the Lord. And he's asking them to willingly, to willingly is the word he uses, offer willingly or voluntarily. This is completely grace motivated by David. He says, who's willing, who's voluntarily wants to offer themselves to the Lord. Now he had options. David could, he had the power, he could have taxed everyone. This is normally when a building project went up, they they just, uh, well, nothing's changed, has it? When a building project goes up by a city or a state or a government, they just raise the taxes. So David could have added a temple tax to pay for the building. He could have just saying, you know what? We got a lot of unfaithful tithers in Israel. So we're going to get everybody's tithe going and that's going to pay for the building. He doesn't do anything like that. He says, here's how we're going to cover this. We're going to see who's willingly offering generously their lives to the Lord. And this isn't manipulative. It's not, well, if you love Jesus, you'll give in the offering next week or something like that. That's manipulation and condemnation and just generally unrighteous. But that's not what he's doing here. He, he is, he's asking people, he's saying, this is a moment for the people of God to give themselves. He's saying, look, folks, this offering reflects our heart. It reflects worship. And God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking worshipers who live all of life as worship. Married couples whose marriage reflects the gospel. That's a, a, a marriage of, of worship. Parents who are leading their children, uh, training the next generation, the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Children who are honoring their parents. That, that's, wor- that's being a child who worships. That's being a parent who worships. People who go to their job day in, day out, faithfully, uh, week after week, and do all that they do heartily as unto the Lord. Not just when the boss is watching, the New Testament says, to, to kind of get, to, to get a man service, or just when the eye is on you, just to sort of uh, get, get in with your boss, but who are doing their work for the Lord. That's worship. Um, loving the people of God, serving other Christians, that's worship. 
proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing those who don't know him, that is an act of worship if we do that for the Lord. So we're to do all that we do unto the Lord. But here's a specific thing he's calling them. Who wants to give their whole life to the Lord? Who wants to consecrate themselves to the Lord? Because God is interested in the investment of our lives and not just the investment of our finances. God's not looking for us to add him on to our bills each month. And you know what? It can really happen. Aaron made a joke up here, and I thought it was funny. But we've been fundraising for a a long time to get where we are. So it can easily sound like, okay, here's the deal. We got the card. Okay, in about 10 minutes, Craig's going to pull out the card, and we're going to look at the card. And we've been doing this for a number of years. Because we're not a big church and we couldn't do it in one year, it's taken a lot of years to get where we are. And it can easily get to, okay, let me just, what's my amount? Let's put in an amount. Okay, each month I'm going to give that. Okay, I'm done with that till next year. Or regular giving, uh, you know, regular uh, giving to, uh, on just a Sunday-by-Sunday basis can feel like a, it can begin to be like a tip or like a bill. And God, God is king of kings and lord of lords and ruler of the universe. He, he's not co-serve that we just write out a bill each month. He, he's not your mortgage company. He, he's... He's, he's, not, uh, he's not Kroger, where we just go down and run our card and we've got to get some groceries. Like he's, just, he's to be worshipped. And David's saying, be set apart for the Lord, and your finances are a subset of being set apart. The Lord doesn't just want money and not our heart. doesn't want just write a check as a substitute for loving him with our lives. But if we love him with our lives, our finances will be part of that. And that's what's happening in this situation. It's, it's like the Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There is an inescapable link between investing our heart and investing our money. There's, a, there's an inescapable link between investing our heart and other things as well. Investing our heart and investing relationally. Investing our heart and serving. Investing our heart and being patient with others. Um, investing our heart and being long-suffering. Investing our heart and showing mercy to the, those in need. Uh, so investing our heart involves a lot of things, but it certainly involves our resources. So when David says this, who will willingly set themselves apart there's this powerful demonstration where he goes through the rankings, this leader, these leaders, the leader. they all start giving, you know, 5,000 talents of gold, 10,000 derricks of gold. And then he says, whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of this guy, the Gershonite, like the temple treasurer or something. Uh, he, he took hold of it. And then verse 9, it says, then, I mean, verse 9, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So here's the scene. This is why this is such a compelling scene to me. Because nobody is having their arm twisted. Okay, okay, if I have to give. This is not what's happening. There's no manipulation. There's no uh, guilt. You know, guilting people into somehow feeling obligatory there's not, it's like David says, okay, here's, here's what's happening. Now, who wants, to, who, who wants to give themselves to the Lord? And the people just respond phenomenally. And then here's how they respond. They give willingly. They rejoice. That means to be joyful again. They're, they're joyful about it. They give with a whole heart. They had offered freely. It's not legalism. Grace produces free giving. They didn't give so that they could be right with God. 
You can't give to be right with God. God gave Jesus so that you could be right with him. They don't give to get something in return. They don't give uh, somehow so that God will owe them. They offer freely with a whole heart, and they're rejoicing. And then it says, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. He's amazed at what is happening. And I love it that they do this together. They do it, they're, they're the people together, it's listing them off. It's listing what they gave. This is like a big party of, a, a big donation, a big giving, a big worship party where people are just giving freely and everybody is excited about it. There is a joy in the Lord. There is always more joy in giving in any context. There is always more joy in giving than there is in grasping. Always. Because there's a freedom in giving. And there is a fear and a selfishness and an eternally myopic perspective that I just see what's in front of me right now. I must hang on. But there's a joy. Here's an abandon of freedom. And that's one reason that I don't hesitate to talk about this today. Now, in the past, we've talked a number of weeks. This year, we only did two weeks to talk about this. But we're not hesitant about it because I know in my heart for those who the Lord leads to give, who willingly, freely obey what the Lord leads them to do, there will be joy. And I'm not your friend, and I'm a poor pastor if... I don't have a primary motivation to see everyone in this church experience joy in Christ. I want you to have joy. I want me to have joy. I don't want to be the grasping, fearful, uh, selfish guy either. I know those temptations. I want to experience the joy of the Lord as well, and I want that for you. There's a joy in seeing God's purposes accomplished, and there's a joy in getting to be a part of that. To be a part of, look what the Lord is doing. And he's invited us, he's called us into it to give willingly and freely. So, there's a, well, let me say one thing. There's a joy in giving ourselves and our resources to something that is lasting. There's a short-term goal of joy, but there was a long-term goal. That what these people invested in, it, it went beyond them and went beyond their lives. And that's our prayer. And that's not found in a building. That's found in one generation proclaiming the gospel faithfully to the next generation and God graciously giving faith to the next generation. Uh, And that's reaching young people that don't have Christian parents to pass the faith on to them and bringing the gospel to young people, children and adolescents and college-age people and young adults to have them see them come to have a first-generation faith if they have unbelieving parents. So we want to see the next generation. We want to see something that outlives us. We want, I really want us to be a happy church. And that sounds super shallow, but a happy church is a giving church. People that are happy to be a blessing to someone else. That, I hope we're that. Well, we have been that. We are that. And I hope we continue to be that. And I hope our joy increases. Joyful, extravagant giving is then followed by David's prayer. This is honestly one of my favorite prayers in all the Bible. Because it goes way beyond this giving event. It goes to how do we relate to the Lord. Listen to this. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever 
and ever. So they've just given this sacrificial amount, and look what he does. He turns to the Lord, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we're strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in the uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I've freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. He sort of prays, I think, three things in this prayer. The first prayer is really the first three verses, and he's saying, this is all about you. And that's not a trite thing. It's all about God. No, it really is. He's saying, hey, blessed are you, Lord. You're great, verse 11, your power, your glory, your victory, He's going through here and he's saying, the victory is your, there's a battle that's been won this day and it's the battle over the human heart and the battle over materialism and selfishness and a sort of temporary thinking. A battle was won and God was the victor. He's, he said, you are, there's majesty, you are majesty. Everything belongs to you, greatness, power. He says, all that is in heaven and earth is yours, verse 11. Well, all that is in heaven and earth, that's that's everything. There's nothing that exists outside of that. He's saying, you have everything. You have everything. And it is all about you. Riches and honor come from you. And then he says, verse 13, we thank you. We praise your glorious name. He, He realizes that the Lord rules over all, that yours is the kingdom. You are head, verse 11, you are head above all. So, so David takes everything that happens and he takes it vertically up to the Lord and he says, you rule over everything. He, he sees the kingship of God. And what is so critical to note is that the greatness of the sacrifice of God and the people, they correspond to their vision of God. There's a great giving and a great sacrifice because the vision of God is that God is great. God's not puny. God's not an add-on. God's not one among many, among many deities. God's not just a place to go when we're desperate and, man, well, I'm at the end of my rope. I must go to God. No, he's saying, God, you are everything. You are everything. So it's all about you. Number two, it's all from you. Look at verse 14. But who am I and what is my people that I should be able thus to offer willingly? David considers the greatness of God and 
there's like a resizing that takes place of his own life. You know, it's not like, look what we did. God, this is pretty cool. You see all that stack, hundreds of thousands of pounds of gold? That's pretty, that's pretty good. Who else has given that much to their God? You know, he doesn't do that. He's like, Lord, you own everything. This is nothing compared to what you own. So who am I? Who am I that I even know you? Who are we that we could be able to give to you? What he's saying is, I don't deserve to be a part of this. We don't deserve to know you. Who are we? He's aware of grace. He's saying the only reason we could offer freely is grace, 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 grace. What are we doing here? I can't imagine I get to be a part of this is what he's saying. For all things, verse 14, come from you and are your own, of your own we have given you. You own everything, so all we've done is given something to you that you already own. There's a famous C.S. Lewis quote that, that reflects an experience that if you're a parent, or you, you may have had this experience as a kid, but as a parent you may have had this experience. C.S. Lewis says, it's like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence, Lewis is British if you're unaware, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. Of course, the father does, and it is pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good in the transaction. <laughs> the kid says, hey, can I have some money? Maybe you've done this with your kids when they're really little. Uh, let's go, you know, you go buy, buy something for, uh, you know, mom takes the kids, go buy something for dad and gives the kid the money and... The kid buys something, gives it to him. So that is nice, but like he says, only a fool would think, wow, look what I'm, I'm richer now. This was mine to begin with, and it was just given to me in, in, uh, in, in the form of a thoughtful choice that my little kid made and then wrapped it with little kid wrapping and gave to me. So it's nice, it's wonderful. The heart reflected by it is beautiful. It's joyful, it's giving, yes, but I'm not better off because of it. My, my net worth didn't increase we just moved from one place to another, uh, that $5 gift or whatever it was. He's not sixpence to the good, or sixpence none the richer. It was a band that took their name from that quote, sixpence none the richer. So he's not richer uh, because of it. This is how Paul says the exact same thing, 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? You know, we should just have that written over our lives. What do I have that I did not receive from the Lord? I mean, that's the lens that changes all of life. If you look at all of your life and your starting place is not, what do I want and need and what does somebody else have that I don't have? But if it is, what do I have that I didn't receive from God? That, that affects our view of everything and it reflects a heart touched by grace and generosity. Everything looks different when we approach life in that way. David goes on and he says, hey, we're aliens and sojourners in your sight. We've been studying that in 1 Peter. We're, we're just passing through. Who am I? Who are we? Our time here is brief. He says, we're just here for a moment and then we're gone. How can we participate in something as grand as this, Lord, your purposes, building you a temple? Or in our day, how can we participate in something this grand, Lord, your purposes, building the people of God together, the church, and taking the gospel to the lost? <coughs> how could we be a part of something that grand that will go beyond our lives? It's glorious. He's saying, we're just here. We're here for a moment, and then we're gone. 
You know, here's the big idea. David, in this whole process, and the people, it doesn't feel like a burden. There's nothing I read in this chapter that says, oh, burdensome, weary, again, oh, man, I can't believe this. How long is this going on? How much? I don't hear it. It's just, what am I doing as a part of this? It's all grace. He's not burdened by an obligation. He is actually stunned by the privilege to participate. That's his attitude. He's not burdened by an obligation. He is stunned by the privilege such that he is saying this is unreal. Verse 17, he says, I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. I got to imagine everybody who was there that day will never forget that sight. It's all about you, Lord. It's all from you. And then here's the last thing he prays. Uh, prays keep it that way. Keep it that way. O Lord, he says, of our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct your hearts to you. Direct their hearts to you. Grant Solomon a whole heart to keep your commandments. He closes by saying, um, Lord, this is a great moment. This is a great moment. He, He cherishes the moment. Uh, I just watched a video today. My son and I watched a video of, of a last-minute uh, of a last-minute um, time time expired. Uh, I'm t- we watched a couple, so I can't remember which one said this. It may have been Georgia Tech, but last-minute time expired, uh, scored and won the game. And the announcer was so amazing. I can I can't remember all his words, but I remember one line. I can't believe it. Time is out. I think it was Georgia Tech from last night. I, I can't believe it. He's running, he's going all the way, touchdown. This is an amazing time to be alive. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. You just kind of went a little global. I mean, you know, about a little decaf before the next game. I mean, it was a great moment. It was a great moment. It was a marvelous feat uh, of athletic prowess with some luck or providence thrown in. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty good, but I don't know if I would say this is a great time to be alive. David says, this is a great time to be alive is what he's basically saying. He's saying, uh, he's watched this. Look, I, I have seen your people who are present here offering. Oh Lord. He's saying, let's capture this moment and may it continue. That's what he says. He didn't say, get a quick picture and post it on social media so everybody can remember if they see it. Everybody will know about it if they see it on Instagram and we can run back through and see it for a few days now. He's saying, no, let's remember what happened here and we're praying that it'll stay this way. He's saying, right now, we see everything clearly. We get, we don't own anything. You own everything we manage. And it is a joy to give to your purposes. It's a joy to do it with your people. It's a joy to be together in your purposes. We get it really well right now. Now, could it stay this way, Lord? And specifically, would you help the next king, my son Solomon, have a whole heart for you? May it continue. Grant the next generation a whole heart May future generations experience what we're experiencing here. That's really what we're about. Lord, may the next generation get you, get the gospel. So next week we will have an opportunity to give. You can give next week or you can uh, turn in a pledge card, uh, which kind of communicates what you hope to give for the next year by faith, what you're planning to give. 
And that lets us know, uh, you know, what to plan for. Um, I think that we mentioned last week, there's a few kinds of things that we're waiting to see where we stand, what we uh, kind of how we finish out some of the things in the building. Um, so it allows us to know that. But next week, as we have an offered opportunity to give, I just want to lay some questions out that I think are from this text and what I've talked about. As you consider it, are you burdened by an obligation that, that comes from somewhere? Are you burdened by an obligation or are you stunned by the privilege? Who am I? Who are my people? Are you living with a sense of that? Who am I and who do I get to participate in God's purposes in building his people? Uh, are you living with an, an awareness this is all his to begin with, that he owns everything, and that real freedom comes when we see he owns it all and I just simply manage what he has. And do you see giving, not, not next week, but every week, uh, whenever we give to fund the ministry of the local church as an act of worship? Do you see when you give to other things beyond the local church as an act of worship, when you give to fund uh, perhaps some kind of international uh, mission or some kind of mercy ministry, do you see that as an act of worship? When you give your time an act of worship, when you extend hospitality and give of yourself the imposition that can be tied sometimes to that, an act of worship. So giving is worship. It's, it's, it's not an obligation that God's just, it, it, it's not just an obligation that God is just saying, just do it. But he's wanting our hearts who will willingly consecrate themselves. And are you asking him to do something to maintain it in your heart and to the next generation? Every year when we've done this, uh, we've done it, and so I'll give you a heads up on this. We, we uh, turn in our pledge cards or... If you put, you could, you can, uh, you'll get one on the way out. We turn in our pledge cards, and we do that during the singing portion of our gathering. Uh, this one time a year, we normally do it. Uh, we normally give after we sing. We do it during the singing time because it really reflects what we read here. It really reflects worship, but it also gives kids an opportunity to participate. We don't do it after they go to their classes or something like that. Um, because we feel like it's important for them to see that, to remember that, to participate that. And we've had kids give. Your kids are welcome to give. We've had stories of kids that did lemonade stands and turned in all their money to the Generations Fund and uh, stuff like that, which is just wonderful. But So we'll do it next week then. And th here's the card you'll get on the way out. Uh, and it just explains, um, gives you an opportunity to communicate. There's one thing different on here this year. Gives your regular contact information and whatever. Gives you an opportunity to say, uh, I, I expect to give uh, this amount um, of my pledge today, and here's my pledge for the year. Uh, and then it says, um, th this is something that's new this year. You can expect to receive blank of my total pledge by March 31st, 2016, and the remaining balance by October 31st, 2016. So we've always just said, over the next year, what are you seeking to do? This year we're saying, what do you think you'll do by March 31st? Because that's move-in. So we're kind of seeing where are we going to be at at move-in time. So that's, that's one thing that's a, a little bit different. And then there's just some directions on the card that you can read yourself and look. Call on the Lord. I'm asking everyone to pray and ask, Lord, how would you want me to participate? Consider how you could participate and then make a, uh, make a commitment to pray for the building and pray for the process and then pray for us as a people that God will help us as well to, to grow. Ask the Lord, how are you leading me and how can I jump in? And two weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I don't recall, but one week, of the, one of the last two weeks, um, I just communicated 
something that was some, somewhat spontaneous, but now I've thought about it. I've said a lot of spontaneous things I really regret uh, and I've gotten in trouble for over the years, but this one I said, that's spontaneous, but I actually like, yes, that makes more sense to me as we moved on. Um, and that was this, that here's what I'm praying for as a baseline, that everyone who has participated in, uh, in the Generations Fund would do the same, do the same this coming year that perhaps you did last year. Some people are unable to do that. Totally understand that. You, you lost a job or some in, incredible financial burden came your way this year. Absolutely, that happens. But barring something like that, um, I'm praying that everybody who has given will be able to just do the same. And then of that group, some percentage of them would say, I believe the Lord's provided for me or by faith, I would like to be able to participate more this year. That would be the second category. And that some who have never participated would jump in. And that's what I'm really praying for. Because I'm praying that all of us will willingly participate together. That's really important, uh, I think, for us as a body. If one person had the ability to cover the whole thing, you know, that'd be great at one level. I'm sure nobody would argue with that. Uh, I'm sure the finance committee would would say, okay, that that was a good day. But... uh, (laughs) But I think it would miss the goal. The goal is that we all participate. And some people may have, you may have lagged going, you know, I think we've I've heard this about six years now, and I've just driven by and seen dirt over there. Um, some may have waited to say, okay, I'm going to jump in and participate once it's really happening. Not a someday maybe or a what if, but I'm waiting. Well, now is the time. I can give you driving directions on the way home tonight. Drive by. Now is the time. It is happening. And so I'm praying that some who may have, la- may have stayed on the outside, because maybe you didn't have financial wherewithal five years ago, three years ago, last year, but m- maybe you have something. Even a small, it doesn't matter, a small amount that you can participate in. So maybe that's you tonight. I'm praying that some who haven't participated would. So those who have would continue with some of us in that category doing more. And then those who haven't jumping in, that is really our prayer. So that when we move over there, we move in in strength. And by strength, I don't mean financial strength or financial strength alone. I mean that we move in as a unified body, owning it as a family together, one living stone on another. And that may mean I don't know. I don't know what people give, but that may mean somebody gave 50 grand and somebody didn't have all they could give was 50. That doesn't matter before the Lord. If they had 50 and that's a sacrifice and they gave 50 bucks over the next year and that's all they had, that was a sacrifice and that is glorious to the Lord. It might be better than the guy's 50 grand if that was just a quick thing and didn't cost him anything, an ultra wealthy person or something. So it doesn't matter. The, the amount doesn't matter. We're not looking for equal amounts. It's equal participation and equal sacrifice, which looks very different for a student versus uh, someone in the peak of their career versus a retired person. Uh, it looks very different. But we all can participate in some way. And that's really my heart, that the Lord knows. I, I don't know what people give. The Lord knows. But I'm praying that we all together that this is the Lord's church and we are his people that enjoy that together. <laughs> Lost my balance there. Um, so that's really my prayer. So if you've waited, I especially want to encourage you this week to pray and say, Lord, uh, what would you call me to do? How could I participate? And then the last thing is when we come next week, let's come ready to worship, sing, pray, celebrate, and uh, it's just it'd be a time of joy. It's always a time of joy. It's always a wonderful, wonderful, exciting time of joy. So let's just pray next week the Lord meets us uh, with freedom and joy. And everyone rejoiced greatly is what we're reading here. 
um, uh, that's my prayer for next week. So let's let's jump in that together. On the way out tonight, you'll be able to you'll be handed one of these, and you can look at it and think about it. If you're married, I would suggest husbands engage your wife in talking to her about this, and you guys come up, pray, think about it this week together. How you can participate in this. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.